If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn with me to the book of Judges. Wow, Judges. Now I have a, I'm going to have a problem here. I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and I grew up and learned how to preach in a Pentecostal church. One thing they teach in a Pentecostal church is don't be still. I don't have much of a choice here tonight, do I? Be still or, or, or be still and know that I am God. Let me move this one thing, please. Thank you, sir. That will help me out just a little bit. Book of Judges. Again, we thank you for being here, and uh, I just pray that the Lord will minister to you and to each and every one of us through his word here tonight. I have a question for you tonight, and if you read your bulletins, you will see the question that has been presented to you. How big is God? Huge. Anybody else? How big is God? Six foot four? I don't know, you know, we, 300 pounds. How big is God really to you? We are early tonight. We may beat the Methodist to, to Wendy's tonight, all right? So we need to get going with this. Lin, Lindsay's paying, so everybody Wendy's, okay? Um, how big is God tonight? We sing about it, Brother Anthon. How many songs do we have? How great God is. How great is our God? Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. What's that? Immeasurable, yes. But we sing these songs, we lift our hearts, we lift our voices, and we sing hallelujah, praise the Lord, God is great, God is good, and all of these things that we lift our voices and saying how great and how big our God is. And then economic troubles come. How big is our God then? Eco world economics. How many of you are sick of hearing about the world's economy? How big is our God when the world's economy goes down in the drains? How big is our God when the New York Stock Exchange fell, what, Brother Richard, some 5,000 points from over 12, 13,000 to below almost 6,000, more, more than that? How big was our God then? How big was our God when we got that phone call from the doctor that says, you have cancer, you have this, you have that? How big was our God when we learned of that loved one who had that massive heart attack? You know, do we still, how great is our God? Do we still shout it? That's the question I want to pose to you tonight, and I would like for you to dwell on tonight. So will you bow your heads? And as you bow your heads, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Do remember all of our prayer requests. I think you had a printout in your bulletins this morning, so we do want to remember each and every need that's before us tonight. Father, it's with great anticipation that we are here tonight to worship you, and to have this opportunity to come into the throne of grace and to lift up your wonderful name. You are a great God. And Lord, though so many times we fail you, you're always there to pick us up and lift us and put us on the platform again. So tonight, as we look into your word, we just ask that you speak to our hearts, and Lord, that our faith and our hope will be encouraged through the reading of your word. Meet our needs that are before us tonight, Lord. You know the sick in body. You know the bereaved. And Father, we just ask that you meet each and every need that is in this assembly tonight, and we'll give you all the honor and praise. Everyone says, Amen and Amen. The book of Judges is the second book of history in our English Bibles, it derives its name just from what it says, judges. The judges were people that uh, were, were called of God. 
and it's a collection of judges that uh, that had these writings. And so God, and so the book has been given the name just as it is presented, the Book of Judges. Judges presents in detail a very painfully slow try by try effort to complete the subjugation of Canaan and make the necessary transition to a completely new way of life. The book of Judges gives us no hint as to an author, even though most theologians want to give it a shot, and most would try to pin it down to Samuel. But there is no definite author in the book of Judges, and, um, but that's when most theologians want to pin it down to Samuel. 400 years that we see, through 400 to 410 years that we see uh, in this book of, this wonderful book of Judges. But there's a reoccurring theme over and over and over again that we uh, read about in the book of Judges. We see judgment, we see repentance, and then we see deliverance. Then the cycle begins all over again. Judgment, repentance, and then deliverance. Judgment, repentance, and del- How many of you ever done a study on the book of Judges and read it? How many of you ever really gotten into it? It gets kind of monotonous because you think, boy, this is the big moment. These people are fixing to be released. They fix them to be let go. And then what happens? They fall back into idolatry. And then they have to be judged again. Then they have to repent again. And then God in his gracious mercy delivers the people of Israel once again. But in this time, there was no real king. And it says that in the first chapter of the book of Judges, Joshua has died And now there has been a transition to where there is no king. And what has happened is the Canaanites have come into the land and have taken over the land of of, of this wonderful land before them. And so now the people of Israel have been forced up into the mountains and forced up into different tribal areas. They call them tribal leagues. And so most of these these tribes were, were cornered off by uh, rivers or, or valleys or mountains, kind of like my father-in-law said years ago And here in the Bahamas, if you had a plot of land, the, the deed says, well, you have a rock wall down the eastern side, and then you got a row of mango trees along the southern side, and then you come back along, uh, is my correct, Brother Frankie, and you come back a rock wall along the western side. Well, that's the kind of boundaries that these, these tribals had at this time. It was, you go along the river and you go down behind the, the forest on the edge of the pasture and there is this tribal's land. And what would happen though, these, these Israelites were forced up into the mountains because the, the, the Canaanites wanted the flat land. They wanted the flat land so that they could grow their crops and so that they could be the ones that this was good fighting territory to be on the flat land. It was a good area to be to grow your crops. And, and uh, even though that the Israelites would sometimes have livestock, the uh, Canaanites would go up into the mountains and would, would ambush them and take their livestock just to suppress them more. So this is a reoccurring uh, theme that we see over and over again, judgment, repentance, and deliverance. We see in the book of Judges that there's some 13 judges. After Joshua died, no strong leader arose to take his place. The age of one-man rule was over for a time. It was not practical when the tribes went in different directions. It wasn't a practical thing to have a one king because everyone was in different tribal territories. Now, our English word for judge uh, has little connection with the leaders of this book and what they did. Our book means one who decides 
or who renders a verdict. It suggests a dignified figure in a black robe sitting behind a, a big, large desk, you know, with this big black robe. And, and well, I think in the Bahamas they wear the wig, don't they? The judges wear the wigs. And he has his gavel in his hand, and he gives his verdict, and he slams it down. Case closed. And then the judge goes on. That's what we think about when we think about a judge. But in this book here, in the, the book of Judges, the Hebrew term basically means a deliverer or a savior. Judges were those who ruled or set things right. When there was these disputes, they would come, and they would rule and set things right. But they delivered people from their oppressors. They delivered wrong persons, especially those that were not strong enough to obtain justice on their own. Mostly the judges were civil and political leaders, but they were military champions especially. These were very gallant fighters. These were uh, uh, fighters who, who uh, were against heavy odds when it says that, no, they can't win the battle. These were people who, who God placed and who God appointed. And they were able to go and fight and fight the enemy against heavy odds. I mean, there was no way that they could win. Most of the time, it was in a guerrilla type of warfare. They didn't have the, the, the weaponry. They didn't have the, the numbers that the, the opposition had. So oftentimes they would ambush them and do this guerrilla type of warfare. How many of you know the story of Gideon? There was Gideon. He was called of God to go and to defeat the Canaanites as well. How many did he have? 32,000. 32,000 men. And what did God say? Too many. So he says, anybody that don't want to be here, go. You're out the door. 22,000 people left. 10,000 men left. And what does the Lord say? Too many. Too many. He says, take them down to the stream. And those who kneel down to drink water like a dog who kneel down and, and lap the water up says, those are the ones that you send home. But the ones who cup the water and drink it with their hand, those are the ones you keep. 9,700 gone. 300 men to fight. So Gideon divides the men up in groups of 100 and sends them out. Sends them out with a, a horn and a, and a lantern. And what happened? They put a, a cap over so you couldn't see the lantern. And they separated off in three groups of 100. And what happened as their guerrilla type of warfare came? These, Gideon, these people of Gideon, they came and all at once Gideon gave the signal and they blew their trumpet. They began to continue to blow and blow, and they opened up the lights, and here the opposition thought there was just a mass of people coming in, and they began to fight each other until finally the army that Gideon led won the victory with only 300 men plus God. So we see that this was the, the traditional way of fighting in this, in this type of setting. But how were these dynamic leaders, these dynamic judges, how were they chosen? How did they come to office? Plain and simple, by the Lord and by the Lord only. The Holy Spirit and the Lord Spirit of God was upon these people and upon these men. We're going to see women too. But the, 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 the Lord was upon him. The Spirit of God was upon them. And the, only through the Spirit of God were these judges appointed. These judges, they were not elected officials. The office was not one of hereditary. Their sons did not follow them into, this, into um, the office of, of the judge or, or of the king. They came by the Lord's doing. And this was their considerable emphasis 
and judges is on the spirit of the Lord. So we see these judges, these appointed people of God that are going out to fight in great warfare. Now, as we look in our verse of scripture that we're going to be looking at today, tonight is in chapter four. The Canaanites had reigned supreme over Israel for, for some 20 years. This same Israelites that took a possession of the promised land under Joshua, but they failed to completely dispose of the Canaanites. If you had turned it, I heard pages flipping, but turn back to chapter one. I just want to show you something. Judges chapter one. You'll see the reoccurring theme. Verse number 27, the beginning part. Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants. Verse number 29, neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites. Verse number 30, neither did Zebulon drive out the inhabitants. 31, neither did Asher, Asher drive out the inhabitants. Verse number 33, neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants. They would defeat them, but they would never totally destroy the Canaanite army. The book of Judges is highlighted several times by this constant theme. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and what did the people do? They did whatever they thought was right in their own eyes. And what happened? Destruction came. My goodness, I have to think of what we're in today, especially my country of America and where it has fallen. Yes, I praise God for my, my homeland, but it has fallen into this type of sin. And, and we see that the oppression that is upon the people now and, and that they're panicking, they don't know what to do. And I have to think, you turned your back on God. You're aborting babies. You're doing immoral things left and right. The Supreme Court is, is, is allowing these things. And, and, uh, um, and I don't want to get into politics, but political leaders are allowing these things to take place that are immoral and immoral in the sight of God. God is not a, uh, God is a just God and he will judge his people. He's not going to let people continue to get away with this, this immoral activity. People in America now, and I'm not going to pick on the Bahamas. Y'all let you do that yourself, okay? If I was Brother Winley, he can pick on the Bahamas. So. But that, that is the problem. America has fallen into this idolatry. And here they think they can do whatever's right in their own eyes. The one word that just, one phrase that just irks me, freedom of speech. We think because we just can have freedom of speech, we can just do whatever we want to do. But God is judging people. And now we think, we see what the pattern is. Chapter number two, what did God tell these people? In verse number one, and the angel of the Lord came upon Gilgal to Bacham and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and I have brought you into the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you and ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. God tells them what to do. Ye shall throw down their altars but ye have not obeyed my voice. And then he asked the question, why have you done this? Wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides and their God shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all of the children of Israel, 
that the people lifted up their voice and wept, and they called the name of the of that place Bacham as a sacrifice there unto the Lord. Jump down to verse number 11. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam, and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of that land of Egypt, and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Balaam and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them. For the evil, as the Lord has said, and as the Lord has sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. So God raises up these judges, and he says it in verse number 16. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. And yet they would not hearken unto their judge, but they went and whoring about other gods and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which the fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord. But they did not, but they did not so. And when the Lord raised up these judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hands of their enemies all of the days of the judges. For it repented the Lord because, uh, the prince of the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. So you see the reoccurring thing? God told them, follow my rules. I gave you the land of Abraham. And now I encourage you, don't worship the other gods. But they did not listen to God. They went back and they worshiped the Baals, the gods of Baal and Ashtaroth, the rain gods. And here now God brought judgment upon them. He said, there will be thorns in your side. And now after this, the people cry out to God. Where is our God? How great is our God? How big is our God? And God delivers up these men of, these men of God, these women of God, these judges. And they go and they bring deliverance to the people. And then what happens again? They fall in this same pattern of sin. We see judges, some 13 that says, we know of the first judge, Othniel. He was the first judge. Also the judge um, Ahud. Ahud is a very interesting story. Ahud was in that time, King Eglon was, uh, was the king and he was suppressing the people. He was taking all of their money. He was going and wiping out all of their crops. And, and here King Eglon was he, he was running the show, and he was just wiping out the people, and the people cried out, Where's our God? And so the God sends this judge, Ahud, to the rescue. And Ahud says, Enough is enough. And so Ahud devises a plan. Now, most of you know, most people are right-handed. My wife's left-handed. She's a little off, all right? But she's a left-handed one. Now, Ahud was a left-handed one also. So what would happen was, if somebody were to go in to see the king... They would have a, a weapon. They would most put it on their left side because they were a right-handed person. But they didn't know Ahud was a left-handed person. So he had this double-edged dagger that was about 18 inches long. And he strapped it to his left side. So if, uh, the, if the guards uh, uh, checked him, they most importantly, they would check this side. But Ahud had a plan. And he came and he says, tell King Eglon I have an important message from God for him. And so King Eglon says, oh, well, you know, it's from God. I got to hear this one. So he orders all of his people out. Get out of here. You're out of here. And he orders in the judge, Ahud. 
And he says, I have a message for you. Now, the Bible says that King Eglon was a very obese man. That's not the word the Bible uses, but it's the word I choose to use. He was a very obese man. And here Ahad, the judge, had this sword, and he says, I have a message from God for you. And he pulls out a sword, and he puts it in the, in the heart of King Eglon. So far that the, the only thing that was sticking out was the handle was just embedded in the fat of King Eglon. And here, this one man, this one judge was able to go and, and defeat this army. How? He went out. He ran out the back. He shut the door. He locked the front door. The, 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 the security came. They were looking to see what was wrong with King Eglon. They said he must have gone to the bathroom. That's what the Bible says. He's gone to relieve himself. And so they waited and they waited. And all this time, there the judge Ahud was escaping and going out and preparing his army to defeat the, the, the armies of the Canaanites. So by the time the judges, I mean, the security got into King Eglon, they had noticed that he was dead. And there they sent out the people, but, but Ahud had already cut off the, the crossings to Jordan. And there they were able to make a long story short, defeat the army because of one man, a judge, that well, through the Spirit of God was able to defeat him. Also the judge Shamgar, we read about very briefly, he had an ox goad. That was a weapon that, not really a weapon, but it was a, a tool. And these people, they would use whatever tool was in their hand. An ox goal was a point that he had a point on one end and he would help to, to prod the ox along. And then the, on the other end was a spade that they would help to clean out the, 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 the pallor, the pillars of, the, of the, the plow as it would go through. But Shamgar was able to defeat because of this weapon that we have. So we see over and over again, these judges would, would free the people through the Spirit of God as he led them. He would help them to free the people. And then the people would live for God until Ahud died. And then they would resort back to idolatry, to the worship of Baal. Thinking that God would send, send Shamgar and he would relieve them. And they would fall back into this same idolatry. But the Israelites could never totally destroy the enemy. Each time they would resort back to their sinful ways of intermarriage, of worship, of Baal, and adopted the customs of the culture. Our failure to completely destroy the sinners of our fleshly self-indulgence within us only allows them to grow back again and again and again. We want to kill that sin, that bondage in our life, but sometimes there's something within us. We just want to keep that little opening within us. We never really totally destroy it. How great is our God? Great enough to destroy anything that bonds us from worshiping our God and mar marvelously worshiping our triune God. God is that big. He's that able. We think that we, we think that this is just a part of our life. So no, God is bigger than anything that we have, any troubles that we have. How big is our God? I want to share with you three points to show how big God is. First thing is, we need to have faith. If we have a great, big, wonderful God, we got to have faith that God is in control. We pick up our story in the fourth chapter now. We are now to the Canaanite, King Jabin. Jabin was harshly dominated Israel for some 20 years. And his right-handed man was Sisera, the, the captain of the army. Verse number one, and the children of Israel again did evil, this is after Shamgar, and after Ahud, did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ahud was dead. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned on Azor, the captain of whose host was Sisera, who dwelt in Ashereth and the Gentiles. And so these people, here was, 
uh, um, King Jabin, and he had his military man, his Sisera. But the wonderful thing that this army had, and the pride and joy, is the beginning of the Iron Age, as these men had 900 chariots that were just violent fighting weapons. 900 of these iron chariots. These iron chariots were mostly a, a platform that stood on what I'm standing on now, and it was usually drawn by two horses. Sometimes it's one scripture says it was drawn by ten horses. And they would have slots where they would put their spears and the other uh, uh, weaponry that they would use to fight. But these, these iron chariots were just a, a valuable piece of tool on the flatland. But they were no good up into the, into the mountains. But on the flatland, these were just wonderful fighting tools. But we see that, that God has sent now Deborah, a prophetess. Lady, this is your night, all right? Verse number four. And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Libidoth, she judged Israel at that time. This prophetess, Deborah, was a, a, a led by the Spirit of God. She was a prophetess. She would, could foretell the future. She, the God was giving her insight into the future. And here God has called this lady, Deborah, to come and be the judge. Deborah was a judge that she would gather by the date palm tree. And she would gather under this tree and she would help the people. And she would help them in their, league, in their disputes. And she would help the oppressors and help them into finding some relief in their, in their difficult times. But it's during these dark days of Israel that Deborah, the prophetess, she calls for Barak, and that's not Obama, and issues him this divine directive. And she tells him in verse number six, and she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinon, out of Kadesha, Naphtali, and said unto him, And not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward the Mount Tabor, and take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali and of the children of of Zebulon, and I will draw unto thee to the river Goshen, Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thy hands. And Barak said unto her, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. So here Deborah goes to Barak. She says, The Spirit of the Lord has spoken to me. And the Spirit of the Lord wants you to get 10,000 men, and we're going to go fight the army of Sisera, the captain of this great army. And so here is, um, she said that the Lord is going to draw this army to you. So here is Barak, and he's thinking to himself, sounds like a setup to me. You know, here I got, these people got 900 chariots, but here I got to go fight this people with no weaponry. They had absolutely nothing except 10,000 men. Now, I would be, what about you, Brother Fowler? If your wife says, go fight, you would think maybe, you know, this lady's trying to set me up for a rough shot, right? Maybe? Amen. <laughs> you want to speak that right here? Amen. It sounds like a setup. Barack is thinking this thing over. He says in his mind, you know, what am I going to do about this? Here, this, this proposition is before me, and, and what am I going to do about it? You know, and he says, well, all right, I'll go if you go. So Deborah finally agrees, and she says, all right, I'll go. But, and she says it in verse number nine, the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. I'll go with you, but you're not going to get a victory. There's going to be a lady who gets the victory for destroying Sisera. 
Here is General Barak, a very capable military man, but one lacking in self-confidence. My question is, what else is it that he feared? What was it that, that held him back? I mean, no offense, lady, but I don't think Deborah was a great military. She wasn't one that was going to help him as far as fighting and as far as military action. But I think deep within him, it may have been a, some sort of Deborah was the judge. So people were coming to Deborah, seeking advice and seeking to help her. So she had gained some sense of popularity around them. So maybe he thought, well, if I have Deborah, maybe they'll have a, a better following if I have Deborah with me. Maybe that was the reason. I don't know. But maybe she, the, uh, Barak knew that the, the spirit of the Lord was upon Deborah. And he said, maybe I'll get some divine guidance as I go and as I fight the enemy. So here is Barak. And Deborah agrees and says, I'll go with you. But the lady is going to get the reward for taking down Sisera. So here is Barak. And he looks down at the base of the mountain. And he's got 10,000 men with him on his back. And he says, Deborah, what are we going to do now? He says, what do you mean we're going to do now? We're going to go down to the base of that mountain, and we're going to take out our enemy. God will be for us. God will be the one who is the victor over our enemy. And Barat thinks to himself, now, they got 900 chariots on flat land. And here I am up in the mountain. Why don't the Lord draw them into the mountain? Why? Because their iron chairs are absolutely no good up in the mountains. But here the Lord said, uh, speaks to, to, to Deborah and says, Did not I tell you that I would draw all men unto me? Brack says, Yeah. Didn't I tell you that the Lord would give you 10,000 men and you have them? Yes. Didn't I tell you that the Lord would give us a great victory? Yes. Well, the same God that gave us 10,000 men, the same God that drew the army of Sisera to us, is the same God who will help us as we go down and as we take out the enemies. Folks, sometimes you just got to have faith in God. Sometimes the plan doesn't always make sense. Sometimes God's plan for our life isn't always the plan that we have for our life. Sometimes the plan that God sets before us is not what we had in mind, but it's God's plan. And we have to have faith that God is in control. We serve a great big God. How big is God? Big enough to know that we have to put our faith in him. How many of a missionary has gone out not having any idea that they're going to go to some African jungle. I don't know, Miss Marguerite, you ever had an idea you're going to Haiti or any place? Probably wasn't your idea of God's plan for your life. But God was in control. And sometimes we don't know how we're going to get there. I've heard uh, Brother Cartwright and uh, tell, uh, Pastor Cartwright tell of when they did missionary work, they didn't know what they were going to do. They didn't know how the funds were going to come. They didn't have any idea. But one thing they did know, they served a great God. And they had to put their faith in this God. If we serve a great, big, wonderful God, then we have to put our faith in him. So here is Barak. One writer says that Barak probably had some sense of fear that came upon him. Something within him came upon him that was this sense of fear. And, and, and uh, he wanted to go and just find a hiding space. And Deborah said, no, 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 no. Come on. We're going down and we're going to fight the enemy. Sometimes you got to just have faith in God. So Deborah tells him in verse number 14, And Deborah said unto Brack, Up, get up, 
For this is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thy hands. Has not the Lord gone out before thee? This is your day, Barak. Get ready, because it's fixing to happen. And so sometimes we got to have faith. And I began and began to think sometimes, put my place in that, that in, in Barak situation. And there that army, I think as they began to march down that army, they began to go. And as the 10,000 men began to march, I think they had some six of cadence as they began to march down that hill or down that mountain. And as they began to march and get in the cadence, I think something within them, they began to get some victory and some revelation from God, some confidence that God was on their side. You think as the people, as Joshua led the people of Jericho around that seven times, and as they began to get in cadence one after another, have I lost some other notes? Okay. As I... Is the, the people of Jericho, uh, Joshua began to march around Jericho. And there the people began to go. And I know that the cadence began to get before them. And as they began to rejoice and praise God, the cadence came. And they had that confidence within them because then they knew that God was on their side. They had faith in this great big God that we sing about and that we rejoice about. So we need to have faith in God, number one. The second thing is... We don't know more than God. Wow. You telling me the truth, preacher? We don't know more than God? Well, I believe that. We believe it. But sometimes we don't always act like we have more knowledge or know more than God. Sometimes, well, I knew I wasn't going to get any amens tonight. None. Sometimes we don't. We think we know more than God. Amen? Sometimes we think we have more knowledge than God, but we don't. This great, big, wonderful God knows more than we know. But can't you see Sisera as he's down and he hears this cadence of these men marching down this, uh, marching down this mountain. And Sisera looks to his, to his general or his, one, the, the, the helper, his military man. And I imagine he said, what in the world's going on? He says, well, that's the army of Barak. They're coming down the mountain. And Sisera said, what do you, what do you think they're doing? Well, he says, I think they're coming down here to fight us. Well, what, what do you think is going to happen? Well, I think if we don't do something real quick, they're going to beat us. So that's when he gets his 900 chariots, 900 iron chariots, and they began to go. Wouldn't that have been a wonderful sight to see? Well, I wonder what Barak was thinking. You ever thought about that? Well, I wonder what Sisera might have been thinking at this very point. Here, Barak may have been thinking to himself, here these people got 900 chariots. All I got is my hands. 10,000 men with empty hands. Here we have 20 years of oppression. 20 years we've been defeated. And here Sisera has had 20 years of dominance over us. Here I have Deborah, a judge. What am I going to do? I don't know if this is what Barak was thinking, but it's probably what I would have been thinking. What am I going to do? The battle plan God had given Barak made little sense militarily thinking. Humanly speaking, the plan made absolutely no sense. But God knows more than we know. God has more knowledge than we know. So here Barak uses his faith and puts his faith in God. 
And the Bible says in chapter number five is a song of Deborah. And it talks about how the stars and how the sun and how the moon and how the hailstorm began to come on their side. God used the sun and the moon and the stars began to fight one another. As we see later on in this scripture, we think we know more than this big God. We think sometimes when we, that promotion is before us, Lord, why didn't I get that job? Why didn't, why wouldn't I want to get that wonderful promotion? I need the money. My family needs the money. And we get a little, we think we know more than God. God, you should have given me that job. And then we find out six months later, God's got an even better job for us. He knew all along there was a better job down the road. Darren's when I was a minister like yourself, I must admit I was scouting all the ladies. Boy, which one's going to be a good preacher's wife? You know? Which one's going to sit over here with, right here with Sister Roker is? Nice, dressed up in her lime dress. Be that nice preacher's wife. Boy, I was picking them out. Lord, that, that's her. There she is, right over there. And high school boy, I was picking them out. And then I go back years later. Who are you? Well, I'm so, well, that's the, I was thinking to myself, that's the one the Lord had for me. Uh, who are you again? Yeah, you want to rub your eyes and say, give it to me again? You know, and you think to yourself, wow, Lord had it right on that one, didn't he? And of course, I got the cream of the crop anyway. Amen? She's looking good, isn't she? Amen. Amen. Brother Frankie, she's looking good, isn't she? Amen. Lindsay always walking around when we walking through Blair. He's always saying, yeah, look at your wife. Outdoing you, running way ahead of you. Walking way ahead of you. She's getting nice for me, Lindsay. See? The cream of the crop, but the God had this. He knew more than I knew. I didn't know who the Lord had for me, but God knew all along. And I praise God for her every day. What a wonderful blessing she is to my life. God knows more than we know. But everything that could go wrong for this army went wrong. For the Canaanites, because the wisdom of God's plan was apparent. The whole army is before them. 10,000 men. And here the, the king of Sisera has 900 chariots. But, but Barak has God on his side. And God has a plan. Even though he has no weaponry, no military, all he has is 10,000 men with empty hands. And even though Sisera has 900 iron chariots, they have armor, they have spears, they had everything to fight. God knew more than, the, than the, the, the people of Barak knew. And God sent a great hailstorm, the Goshen River they called it. But they said in the dry season, there was absolutely no river. It was just a dry pebble rock bed. And at this time, the, the river was absolutely dry. There was no, no river, no running water. But all of the sudden, the sun and the moon and the stars began to work together. And here God sent a great storm, a great torrent of rain, a great hailstorm. And here this Goshen River that was absolutely dry became just a mess a big matter of muck and these 900 iron chariots were absolutely of no use to the king and to the army of Sisera God knew this though and God knew that the army would be wiped out and see here is the army of Sisera their iron chariots are no good but here is Barak's army and all that they have is their fist and all they have is to do is to actually go and beat every one of the men that are before them. My son and I, Maverick now, he's almost two. And we like to, you know, get into that age of tussling and, and punching and stuff. 
And I'll tell him, I'll say, you want some of this? he said, say, I want some of this. You know, and we'll begin to go. And so I imagine that's what the people of Iraq were saying. You want some of this? And they said, come, bring it on. And here God put the hand. There used to be a song said, put your hand in the hand of the man who steals the water. Well, that's what happened in this. They put their hand in the hand and all they had was their fists. And they literally beat the army of Sisera to death. Everyone wiped out. Why? Because we serve a great God that knows more than we could ever know and have any knowledge of. That's the great, big, wonderful God that we serve. This is the God who can win victory over our lives. And finally, we see that we can't run and hide from God. This great, big, wonderful God. Many times we want to run and hide from God, but he's so big that we cannot hide from him. Here is the army of Sisera. The army is totally defeated. But there's one figure leaving, running farther and farther and farther. And Barak looks. He tries to make out this one man so they could go get him. And he says, I think it might be Sisera. Sisera has gone and is going to hide and run from God. And he runs. And he runs. And he runs. And I'm getting claustrophobic. I got to get down from here. And he runs. And he runs. And Sisera runs all the way to the camp of the Kenites. There was a peace treaty between King Jabin and King Haberstadt. A peace treaty. And so Sisera thought to himself, if I can run and, and get to Haberstadt's house, I'll be all right. And he runs. And he runs. And he gets to the house of King Aberstadt. He comes in, knocks on the door. The door is open. King Aberstadt here? No, no, he's not here. But his wife, Yael, opens the door. Says, he's not here, but I'm here. Need anything? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I need to see King Aberstadt. Well, he's not here, but come on in. You look tired. What's wrong with you? What, you, you look like you're exhausted. Said, well, I've... Had a difficult day. You know, I, 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 I just need a little rest. You, can I get you anything? Well, a little water would be nice. Well, what, what, what about a little, little milk? A little, little milk, calm you down. How many of you drink a milk, glass of milk at night? Calm you down, relax you, rest you. How about a little milk? Oh, yeah, that'll be good. My grandmother, when I, I mean, my aunt, that I, when I went to my grand tour of America's finest universities, and I lived with my aunt for some time up in Auburn University. And she was a great cook. And uh, she would make oftentimes fried cube steak. And she would make uh, cornbread and collard greens. And I would rejoice. I loved them. I miss them. Collard greens. I told them the other day they wanted to have a fish fry. I said, all right, we'll have a fish fry, some cheese grits, and some hush puppies. They looked at me like I was crazy. That's not a Bahamian fish fry. You got to have peas and rice and macaroni. I said, we can't have collard greens? No, no collard greens. But at nighttime, on Angeline, uh, she, would, she would take that leftover cornbread, and for her supper, she would crumble it up in a glass, and she would go down to the local grocery store and get that fine cuisine called butter, milk. Anybody ever had it? If you ever drink it, you, gotta, you had it, sweetie? You got to hold your nose to drink it. Butter, milk, and would pour it in the cornbread. And she would eat that for her supper 
It relaxed her. It will calm her down. So here is Yael. She says, come on in. You want some milk? One writer says she probably even had a crust of bread around there. You want a piece of bread? Crumble it up in your milk? Relax you a little bit? Can I get you anything else? Well, I'm very tired. Yeah, here's a bed. You want to lay down? Here, lay down. Get you a little cover. Cover you up. Everything all right? Yeah, everything's all right now. There's one other thing. If anybody comes and looks for me, just, I'm a little tired. I don't want to be interrupted. Just tell them I'm not here, okay? Yeah, yeah, all right. My question is, Brother Fowler, this sweet lady that was, come on in. Want some milk? Want a cover? Want to lay down? Go ahead. All of a sudden turned into a, a killer. What happened to this sweet lady? Come on in. Want some milk? To a lady who goes to kill and I think that God's plan was all alone. He was trying to run from God, but God had placed Yael in that house because Yael was for God. He tried to run from God, but he couldn't hide from God. This great, big, wonderful God. Oh, Lord, if I could just go over here. Lord, you want me to do that? No, no, I'll just duck away over here. And we try to run from God and hide from God. And run and run and run. But folks, we cannot run from this great, big, wonderful God. So many of us forget what God has done for us. So many of us forget what blessing God has done for us. The people of Israel over and over and over again forgot what God had done. And they would fall back into this time of suppression. And God would just bring them out. And they would forget it again. And I think when the people of Israel... After 20 years of suppression, when they called out to God was when God sent 10,000 military men. When they looked back to God was when God gave them General Barak and Deborah. When they looked back to God and turned back to God was when God had sent the, and brought the army of Sisera to them. When they looked back to God is when God had the plan to bring the great hailstorm before them. When they looked back to God is when God had the plan to place Yael and not Haberstadt in that house at that time. Because God had a plan and the people of Israel looked back to God. And when they looked back to God, God came and delivered them people. Folks, we got to have faith in God. We don't know more than God. And folks, we got to know we cannot run. And hide from God. And folks, one day, the tent peg, what happened to Sisera? Most of you want to know. Well, as there was Sisera laying in that bed, and all of a sudden, this Yael took a wooden peg, tent peg, and an iron stone, a, a hammer, and here she reared back. And folks, you got to carry this all the way through, all right? She didn't just go up and just place it on his head and you know, tap it in. Here the Yael, the lady's job was that of setting up the tent. So Yael had done this before. Yael had had experience in driving tents and driving tent stakes into the ground. Yael knew what she was doing. But you know, you, you take your hammer and you, you place that nail, Brother Winley, and you tap, 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 and then you hit it in without hitting your finger, right? Well, here, Yael, she didn't have that opportunity. She couldn't go and place the stake on the temple of Sisera, but here she had to suspend it in midair. And with the help of God, the stone hammer came down and she drove it into the temple of Sisera and nailed him to the ground that he worshiped each and every day. 
He wouldn't worship God, but so she nailed him to the ground that he worshiped each and every day. And folks, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, one day our great, big, wonderful God is going to take a tent peg and he's going to find old Satan and he's going to rear back and suspend it through midair and he's going to drive the tent stake right through the, the temple of Satan and drive him into the lake of fire forever and forever. That's the great, big, wonderful God that we serve. Folks, you can sing it. You can shout it. You can rejoice with confidence that we do serve a great, big, wonderful God. Can you say amen tonight? If you love the Lord tonight, will you stand with me as we close? It's not by our might. It's not by our power. But it's by the Spirit of the Lord that we can go and have victory through our risen Savior tonight. Father, it is my joy to be here tonight and to share what you have placed on my heart, Lord. And Father, I ask that that one that was here tonight that has been fighting, has been battling something within them, Lord. Maybe they have been questioned, where is this great, big, wonderful God? Where is this God that has always been there for us? Where is this God who's a great victor over hell, death, and the grave? Where is this great big God? He's here, right here tonight, folks. He's right here in our midst, and he can meet each and every need that you have tonight. Nothing is too big for God. No need is too small for God. He loves the just and the unjust, and God is able to deliver us tonight. But we got to have faith in him. we got to have confidence in him. We can't hide and run from him, folks. we got to put our faith in him tonight. And when we turn back to God... When America turns back, when the Bahamas turns back to God, then will God deliver his people. And then will God bring deliverance and victory through this saving grace. Father, I pray tonight for each and every need that is before us tonight, whether sick or financial or physical, Lord, whether it's their jobs, whatever the need is, Lord, you're a great God and you can solve them all, Father. And we right now, with the body of Christ, agree together, touching anything that it shall be done, Father. And with our hands extended tonight, we ask that you meet each and every need by your power. And Father, we just thank you again. Go with us tonight as we depart our ways. In your name we pray. Everyone says, Amen. Amen. God bless you. I hope you have a blessed night.